welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. All I want is the same language that was used to support Israel after 7th of October. We unequivocally condemn. This is a heinous act. This is a stain against humanity. We affirm our solidarity with you. We're shocked. We're horrified. Where are those adjectives for Palestinians? We are evicted from the category of human. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past and present, as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. This week on the program, we bring you part of an online teach-in from the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network called How to Talk About Gaza Right Now. The teach-in, which took place on December 1st, following the end of the brief ceasefire in Gaza, features Dr. Randa Abdel Fattah, Dr. Lana Tatur, and writer Samat Sabawi. This is facilitator Associate Professor Jumana Bayer opening the conversation now. Good evening, everybody, and welcome. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I extend the deepest respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today and my immense gratitude for their solidarity during this crisis. Sovereignty was never ceded was and always will be Aboriginal land. Again, thank you for joining us tonight in what is, to put it very mildly, difficult times. The last 50 or so days have been an absolute nightmare for for Palestinians, for people in Gaza and for those of us in the diaspora as well. Some days I wake up thinking of Mahmoud Darwish's poem on this land where he says, we have on this land that which makes life worth living. On other days I think of one poem he wrote during the siege of Beirut in 1982, which applies, I think, very sadly to Gaza today, and it's called The Mask Has Fallen. And in that poem he says to read just a couplet, they have gone, the ones you love, gone. But every day, my subconscious reminds me of the words of Edward Said. Why Palestine? Because it is a just cause, a noble ideal, a moral quest for equality and human rights. That cause is what we are here for tonight, how to talk about Gaza right now and how to continue to talk about Gaza over the next few days, given the resumption of violence. My name is Jamana Bayer. I'm an associate professor at Macquarie University, and I'll be facilitating this discussion tonight. And I'm joined by three wonderful people. Samah Sabawi is a Palestinian-Australian author and playwright based in Nam. Uh, Dr. Randa Abdel-Futtah is an author and an ARC Future Fellow at Macquarie University. Dr. Lana Tatur is a lecturer at UNSW. I'd like to let you know that there will be time towards the end to ask questions, and I encourage you to pop those questions in the Q&A function. I'd like to begin tonight by talking about the immediate present. We've had about, we've just finished, I think, about seven days or six days of a so-called ceasefire, more accurately, a pause in the violence against the people of Gaza 
Samah, if possible, if I can direct this question to you, please, and you have family there, as we've been hearing, what do you make of the end of these hostilities, um, the end, sorry, of the ceasefire, I should say, for the residents of Gaza, and what is the situation on the ground for them at the moment, if you could describe that to us? Hi, everyone. Um, thank you for the introduction and for the Mahmoud Darwish poetry. We always go to poetry in times like these. Uh, I come to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Narm. The sovereignty of this land was never ceded. So we've just come out of the seven-day pause in the genocide. And as I speak to you right now, Gaza is being pounded yet again by Israeli fire. At least 21 People have been killed just in the last two hours, and the death toll and the devastation is still mounting. The Gaza Strip is one of the most densely populated areas in the world, with a population of over 2 million. Most are refugees who have been forced to leave their homes in the Nakba of 1948. Nearly half of Gaza's population is uh, made up of children. Over the course of the last seven weeks, we have watched with horror as thousands of Palestinians were killed and thousands were injured. But it's important to know that the death toll and the number of those injured is still to be counted. There remains many wounded who have not had access to ambulances or to hospitals in spite of the so-called seven-day ceasefire. There are many more dead who have not been collected, including family members. They haven't been counted or buried. I don't know a family who has not had dozens of relatives killed, including my own. And I haven't had a day where I have not paid condolences to relatives and friends. And it is never just one person that you're paying condolences for. It's always several members of a family, if not an entire family that's been wiped out. With the total devastation of Gaza's healthcare um, and uh, the forced evacuations, uh, the health ministry has not been able to keep up with the collection of data. So I, I urge people not to get stuck on the numbers because they don't reflect the reality. Aside from the dead and the injured, nearly 80% of Gaza's population are currently displaced. Most were forced to leave their homes with very few belongings and to evacuate under Israeli orders from the north of Gaza to the south, where we now know that conditions are absolutely appalling and where not only was there no infrastructure to care for the influx of these displaced refugees, but also there was no, and still there is not, safety from Israeli bombing. In fact, most of the bombing right now, as I speak to you, is taking place in the south. And um, uh, my voice is a little bit shaky because um, we just found out that um, all of my relatives in all the areas that they're in in the south have all received messages just now from the Israeli army. They've dropped flyers um, all over the south telling them that they must all evacuate to Rafah. Now, Rafah is the farthest area in the south near the Egyptian border. The flyer is telling them that this is for their own safety. The flyer is also telling them that there will be a lot of intense bombing to come, unlike anything they've seen before. The Israeli army flyer also ends the announcement, and I was just reading it now, with which means you have been warned and nothing we do after this we can be blamed for. 
it's a clear threat of inevitable bombing and more devastation to come. And the problem for my family and for all the other families in the South right now is that um, there is no place to go to uh, in along the border because you're talking about squeezing the entire Gazan population now along the border town Rafah near the Egyptian borders. Um, they're telling them to go to the tents. There aren't enough tents for the people. Um, and people will probably be killed trying to get there. We're talking about families with elderly, families with uh, people who have been wounded, and families who are already with nothing because they were forced to leave their homes where they had their everything. Um, just uh, um, on the, the situation during the, the, the ceasefire, for the people in the South, before this latest resumption of the genocide, um, because they were all crammed in already very, very cramped areas, uh, there was a dearth of toilets and showers and water and services. Um, drinking water uh, was a problem, still is a problem. Um, one of my cousins is pregnant and we're very concerned about her safety and her, the safety of the baby because of the water she's drinking. Um, there's an environment of, uh, that is ripe for the spreading of infectious disease, diseases such as cholera and measles. And of course, there is the cold as the winter uh, comes in. People left their homes, again, with not much. So there's no blankets, there's no mattresses, there's no winter coats. Uh, in fact, this pregnant uh, cousin was very happy that she found uh, a, a warm robe uh, that she is wearing now as a jacket uh, to keep her warm. Hospitals in the South were depleted to begin with um, and are now even more so and are unable to care for the wounded. And we don't know if the hospitals will be allowed to stay. Uh, Israel targets hospitals because they are the, the last uh, place for people to shelter and to get help. And so when the hospitals shut down, as they did in the north of Gaza, that's a sign that they can take over the place with no civilians uh, left there are still civilians left in the north, and they have also received a flyer that I just saw um, on my phone now telling them to get out um, or get killed, basically. Uh, it's estimated maybe 300,000 people were left in the north of Gaza. There are no enough medical facilities. Uh, it's an absolute uh, catastrophe, and it's a man-made catastrophe, and it's a catastrophe made because we are all still unable to get even our government here uh, in this settler colony on the other side of the world to condemn the most basic thing, to condemn the bombing of hospitals, to condemn the fact that babies were found um, in, in, the, in the hospitals, uh, their, their, their bodies were decomposing. That there are war crimes being committed, I don't think that is something that we're questioning anymore. I, I'm just questioning the conscience of the world right now. Um, so uh, I'm going to stop here uh, and uh, hand it over to you. Um, thank you, Samah, for sharing um, all of that. I, I don't know what to say. The horror of it all is, is really too much. Women on the Line. On community radio around so-called Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. This week, we're bringing you part of an online teaching hosted by the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network called How to Talk About Gaza Right Now, which took place on December 1st. 
You were just hearing the voice of facilitator Associate Professor Jumana Bayer thanking speaker Samar Sabawi. This is Jumana continuing the conversation now with a question for Dr. Randa Abdel Fateh. So in the last several days during the so-called ceasefire, I've been watching a lot of hostage exchanges take place. Um, and I'm sure many of us have been doing the same. I'm not finding myself much reporting in mainstream media reflecting the experiences of those hostages that were held in Gaza, though I have seen a lot more from the children and women released from the Israeli prisons, a lot more coverage of that. This is a fraught topic to discuss, especially, I think, around language. Um, you might notice I, ha- I don't want to call the Palestinians prisoners. Many of them were in prison, but they faced no charges. So how are they, you know, why should I reflect on them or refer to them as prisoners as if they com- committed some crime? Um, Rhonda, can I start with you on the hostage, hostage exchange and what your impression, impressions have been of that? Thank you. Um, and I'm speaking to you all from the direct lands and pay my respects to elders past and present. Um, first of all, the, the one thing that I agree Need, we need to analyse is the language that is used because it has very much plugged into the pattern of dehumanising language um, that, that the media deploys whenever Palestinians are um, spoken about in the media and discussed. And I remember in the very beginning there was a headline um, referring to Palestinian females and teenagers and Israeli women and children So we can see there a a clear distinction between the exact same demographics but a deliberate deliberate deployment of um, differential language which is quite clear in trying to, um, as as, Palestinian academics have said, unchilding, trying to to deprive um, Palestinian children of their childhood even in the moment that they are most vulnerable. The fact that we are seeing this language of prisoner exchange, um, and I agree with you, Jamana, Palestinians are hostages of Israel. There are thousands of Palestinian hostages. Since 7th of October, over 3,300 have been arrested in the West Bank. And the reports and testimonies of their treatment there, it's outright explicit torture. It is barbaric treatment. It is... It is daily war crimes inflicted and it's both explicit and um, and apparent for all the world to see and yet we are still seeing the disparity in emphasis in the media as to who is the victim here and who is the aggressor. It's this constant flip side in which Palestinians are constantly having to having to prove that they are the stateless refugee population under bombardment and under occupation and under siege. And that is, that is the, the single most frustrating, dehumanising aspect because there is nothing that is happening to Palestinians that colonised and oppressed people around the world have not endured at the hands of European and Western powers. The difference in this moment is that it is all um, obvious and explicit and live-streamed and on Instagram and, and, and on Twitter, so there is no denying what is happening. 
And yet in the face of this denial, we spent decades thinking it's because the world doesn't know, because we don't have access to the media. So if we just, you know, if we can just tell them if they were just equipped with the facts, then they would see that this is an asymmetrical power imbalance and this is a one of eight countries in the world nuclear power against a stateless, defenceless, occupied, um, colonised people. And now the world sees and yet we still see the language of Israel has the right to defend itself against babies in incubators. Israel has the right to defend itself against people who are refugees, who have had their homes bombed and and destroyed and demolished on top of families. And, Samah, you mentioned... Um, about leadership here. I mean, we can, we can take, you know, the context of our government here. Um, and I, today I spent some time looking back through Penny Wong and Anthony Albanese's statements since the 7th of October, just trying to trace any hint of humanity, any shifts. I can see Penny Wong might adjust a few words here and there. It's, it's crumbs in the face of a genocide. And even the crumbs, there is an instant attack um, from the lobby, from the Liberals, and she has to retreat again and prove again that she is a loyal Israeli supporter and friend. This is the dynamic that we're in. We have to we have to even prove that we are the victims in a genocide. And this is why we can have a so-called ceasefire, a pause on our torture for seven days, and we're supposed to be grateful for it. And we knew what was coming, which is a resumption of the hostilities and the savagery and barbarity and it will be even worse this time. And why wouldn't it be? If I was Israel and I had complete impunity to do what I want and I had a plan, then of course I would go hard and I would go hard as, as hard as I could to fulfill my objectives, which is the decimation of the Palestinian people. And that is on every single leader's hands, every single body that has been killed, every single child. And, and like you said, Samah, it's not just the dead. The dead are at peace now. It is the, the living who are walking dead and and that you know the fact that we are here in this moment now and we are you know we're talking at a time when the bombs are are being thrown down again and we are still not hearing like you said condemnation all I want is the same language that was used to support Israel after 7th of October we unequivocally condemn this is a heinous act this is a stain against humanity we affirm our solidarity with you we're shocked we're horrified where are those adjectives for Palestinians we are evicted from the category of human. Thank you, Rhonda. Um, you mentioned our Prime Minister and Senator Wong. And, um, yeah, living in Australia, I've, as I always have for most of my life, I've been struck by the degree to which our own leadership has, I'm not sure what words to use, what lengths it's gone to to give cover to what Israel is doing or support Israel in despite what it's doing. I'm not sure what words to use. And this is from, I should remind everyone, from a prime minister who established the Australian Parliamentary Friends for Palestine. And the irony of it all is is something else. It's just another level for me. And I know there are political reasons for why um, this Australia is holding this position and other countries like America as well. But what of the more cultural elements and what I'm speaking about here, and you might not want to make a division between political and cultural, I'm talking about or I'm thinking about anti-Palestinian racism. And, Lana, are we seeing a rise in this form of racism? Does it explain why some people, some organisations, some countries have this inability to extend compassion 
if for want of a better word, to the plight of Palestinians? First of all, thank you. Uh, and I'm joining you from medical land that was never ceded. Um, and I mean, we're having this webinar at, you know, it's everything is just horrifying. And as as I was listening to Samah and um, as I was listening to Randa and Samah describing the situation on the ground and the horrors, which, you know, the world is absolutely letting happen with impunity. Well, when I say the world, it's actually the West, right? It's not the world. The world is with us. Um, and listening to Randa about the point where if they only knew, right, uh, if they only could see, then surely they wouldn't let that happen. And the fact that, you know, they're seeing and they're letting it happen could be only explained by anti-Palestinian racism. Um, we are completely, uh, especially, this is historical, but especially after uh, uh, 7th of October, uh, completely been taken out of the category of the human, which is a classic modality of racialization and of dehumanization. Now, the problem is, it's not only that we are facing extreme racism, that we're facing anti-Palestinian racism, and I'll come back to a bit to talk about what is anti-Palestinian racism, is that we're subjected to it, and it kills us, but we are not seen, precisely because we are taken out of the category of the human, we are not seen as subjects legible in terms of subject who can be subjected to racism, right? Because we're not human beings who can experience. We're not legible in that sense of the word. Um, but it's even more than that. It's not about just the recognition of anti-Palestinian racism and how it works. It is that we are being rationalized as the racist. So not only are we the victims, not only are we subjected to racism that kills us, but actually in that particular rationalizing discourse, we are the racists. We are by default, by our existence, we are anti-Semites. And since October 10th, again, it goes back earlier, but certainly it has intensified. We are the new Nazis. This is how the racialization works. It's not just that. If you have seen some of the uh, uh, um, uh, commentary and op-eds that have been written uh, uh, you know, by white supremacists who have become Israel allies, uh, we are worse than the Nazis because, of course, the Nazis were white and therefore you know, they felt bad killing the Jews, unlike the Palestinians whose barbarity is and savagery is so much worse. So what we actually experience is something that is really profound, um, which is again, being subjected to, to anti-Palestinian racism that runs so deep, but at the same time, not only not recognized, and the racism against us is not recognized, and our humanity is not recognized, we become the perpetrators. We become the racists, we become the Nazis, we're the anti-Semites. And here is where it's important to use anti-Palestinian racism as a term explicitly. So 
obviously it does not exist outside of islamophobia and outside of anti-arab racism it's entwined it is enabled by it but also it captures the very particular forms of racism that we experience as palestinians that are specific to us that could be different from the forms of racism that a lebanese may face or an egyptian or someone else it can intersect with it but we are facing particular forms of violence and particular forms of racism and it's not coincidence that the term is really gaining more and more currency because it really comes to capture a very particular experience that faces a constant state of denial and by using this term we insist and we you know we resist that denial and we place our experiences as well front and center not just as victims but also as agents who frame their own reality who can articulate and theorize and express their own reality and their lived experience and we do experience racism in in shared way but we also as palestinians but also in very particular ways depending on where we are in the world we are fragmented uh, a colonization fragmented us and we experience racism in shared ways but also in very specific ways and in gaza at the moment it's genocidal that was dr lana tatur speaking about anti-palestinian racism as part of an online teaching hosted by the australia palestine advocacy network called how to talk about gaza right now which took place on december 1st the conversation also featured dr randa abdel fatah and samat sabawi and was facilitated by associate professor jamana bayer you can watch the teaching in full online and we'll post the link at 3cr.org.au/womenontheline. You can find more from the Australia Palestine Advocacy Network including Palestine solidarity events around so-called Australia at apan.org.au. People in Gaza and the whole of the occupied Palestinian territories need our solidarity now more than ever. Stay engaged, show up and don't stop talking about Palestine. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people. This program was produced in Nam, Melbourne, with the amazing support of 3CR staff. A big thank you to them. Women on the Line is broadcast across so-called Australia on the community radio network, and we greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 If you'd like more information about today's program or to listen to the show again, you can find what you need on the Women on the Line website, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash womenontheline. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. I'm Emma Hart. Hope you can tune in again next time.